Section 18 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 1. Book the Second. Chapter 8. Nix et Nox. The characteristic of the snowstorm is its blackness. Nature's habitual aspect during a storm, the earth or sea black and the sky paled, is reversed. The sky is black, the ocean white, foam below, darkness above, a horizon walled in with smoke, a zenith roofed with crepe. The tempest resembles a cathedral hung with mourning, but no light in that cathedral no phantom lights on the crests of the waves, no spark, no phosphorescence, naught but a huge shadow. The polar cyclone differs from the tropical cyclone inasmuch as the one sets fire to every light, and the other extinguishes them all. The world is suddenly converted into the arched vault of a cave. Out of the night falls a dust of pale spots, which hesitate between sky and sea. These spots, which are flakes of snow, slip, wander, and flow. It is like the tears of a winding sheet putting themselves into lifelike motion. A mad wind mingles with this dissemination. Blackness crumbling in the whiteness, the furies into the obscure, all the tumult of which the sepulchre is capable, a whirlwind under a cataphloque, such is the snowstorm. Underneath trembles the ocean, forming and reforming over portentous unknown depths. In the polar wind, which is electrical, the flakes turn suddenly into hailstones, and the air becomes filled with projectiles. The water crackles, shot with grape. No thunderstrokes. The lightning of the boreal storm is silent. What is sometimes said of the cat, it swears, may be applied to this lightning. It is a menace proceeding from a mouth half open and strangely inexorable. The snowstorm is a storm blind and dumb. When it has passed, the ships are often blind and the sailors dumb. To escape from such an abyss is difficult. It would be wrong, however, to believe shipwreck to be absolutely inevitable. The Danish fishermen of Diskel and the Balsine, the seekers of black whales, Hearn steering towards Bering Strait to discover the mouth of the Coppermine River, Hudson, Mackenzie, Vancouver, Ross, Dumont, de Urville, all underwent at the pole itself the wildest hurricanes and escaped out of them. It was into this description of tempest that the hooker had entered, triumphant, and in full sail, frenzy against frenzy. When Montgomery, escaping from Rouen, threw his galley, with all the force of its oars, against the chain barring the Seine at La Boulet, he showed similar effrontery. The Matutina sailed on fast. She bent so much under her sails that at moments she made a fearful angle with the seas of fifteen degrees, but her good-bellied keel adhered to the water as if glued to it. The keel resisted 
the grasp of the hurricane. The lantern at the prow cast its light ahead. The cloud, full of winds, dragging its tumor over the deep, cramped and beat more and more into the sea round the hooker. Not a gull, not a seamew, nothing but snow. The expanse of the field of waves was becoming contracted and terrible. Only three or four gigantic ones were visible. Now and then a tremendous flash of lightning of red-copper color broke out behind the obscure superposition of the horizon, and the zenith, that sudden release of vermilion flame, revealed the horror of the clouds, that abrupt conflagration of the depths, to which for an instant the first tiers of clouds and the distant boundaries of the celestial chaos seemed to adhere, placed the abyss in perspective. On this ground of fire, the snowflakes showed black. They might have been compared to dark butterflies flying about in a furnace. Then all was extinguished. The first explosion over, the squall, still pursuing the hooker, began to roar in thorough bass. This phase of grumbling is the perilous diminution of uproar. Nothing is so terrifying as this monologue of the storm. This gloomy recitative appears to serve as a moment of rest to the mysterious combating forces, and indicates a species of patrol kept in the unknown. The hooker held wildly on her course. Her two mainsails especially were doing fearful work. The sky and sea were as of ink, with jets of foam running higher than the mast. Every instant masses of water swept the deck like a deluge, and at each roll of the vessel the hawse-holes, now to the starboard, now to the larboard, became, as so many open mouths, vomiting back the foam into the sea. The women had taken refuge in the cabin, but the men remained on deck. The blinding snow eddied round, the spitting surge mingled with it. All was fury. At that moment the chief of the band, standing abaft on the stern frames, holding on with one hand to the shrouds, and with the other, taking off the kerchief he wore round his head, and waving it in the light of the lantern, gay and arrogant with pride in his face, and his hair in wild disorder, intoxicated by all the darkness, cried out, "'We are free!' "'Free, free, free!' echoed the fugitives, and the band, seizing hold of the rigging, rose up on deck. "'Hurrah!' shouted the chief, and the band shouted in the storm, "'Hurrah!' Just as this clamor was dying away in the tempest, a loud, solemn voice rose from the other end of the vessel, saying, "'Silence!' All turned their heads. The darkness was thick, and the doctor was leaning against the mast so that he seemed part of it, and they could not see him. The voice spoke again. "'Listen!' All were silent. Then did they distinctly hear, through the darkness, the toll of a bell. End of section 18 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas